Hi, and welcome to Global Impact, a podcast designed to help you find the freedom to accomplish more with your life, increase the productivity of your team, and make a difference in the lives of people around the world. I'm your host, J.W. Oliver, and I thank you for joining us. Well, hello, this is J.W. Oliver with Global Impact, and I'm so excited to have a dear friend, Miss Kim Bearden. Hello, Kim, how are you? I'm doing great, J.W., how are you? I'm fantastic. Kim is the co-founder, executive director, and the language arts teacher at the Ron Clark Academy there in Atlanta. Um, the information said you brought over 50,000 educators through, but I bet that's more from the information I read. How many educators have you brought through now? Uh, somewhere between 70 and 75,000 at last count, yes. Wow. From around, actually, pro- I know around the country, but probably outside of the country, if I was guessing. Uh, around the world, absolutely. Everywhere from Australia to China to Africa, from everywhere. Wow. 2016, Kim was honored at the White House for being inducted to the National Teachers Hall of Fame recipient of the Disney Teacher Award, chosen as an Influence Her Award, and um, Women's Work Group named her one of Georgia's most powerful and influential women. Put you on the same level as Oprah, I believe that does. (laughs) Not quite there. Over the past 31 years, she's been a teacher, instructional lead teacher, curriculum director, school board member, staff developer, written two books. You're writing your third book today. You have four lovely children, and you have a very cool husband named Scotty. <laughs> tell He'll us appreciate the shout out. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. And, and your kids are. Tell, tell us a little bit about your family as well, if you don't mind. Well, I am a mother of four. I have a beautiful daughter who is going to be 30 in just a little over a week. And um, when she had already become uh, out of the house, married, living on her own, we actually uh, travel a lot to South Africa with our school. And several years ago, I met three beautiful boys in Soweto, South Africa. And through a journey of only what could be described as miraculous, uh, those are now my three sons. And so I have three sons. They are all 18 years old. Uh, they are not biological brothers, but they are definitely brothers now. And um, they are all seniors in high school. And so my husband, Scotty, and I are quite busy running from place to place. And um, also, I've got to tell you that I've also got dogs because you could probably hear one barking in the background <laughs> because I'm at home today. <laughs> so uh, I have a very full life in my personal life. And then, of course, I've got a lot on my hands and on my plate because I have a lot of extended children that are my students. And those three boys, I love to say their names, Sisifo, Sabello, and Pacamani, is that correct? Sisipo, Sabello, and Pacamani, that is was, correct. How about Pac is the last one? I know that's what I call them. That makes yeah, Pacamani goes by Pac quite often. Well, that is just awesome. And tell us how long uh, have you had the three boys? Uh, they've been with us about five and a half years now. So uh, they entered right before their seventh grade year in school. And it's been a beautiful, long journey. Uh, it's. It's been filled with joy, but also it's been some challenges. You know, we're still waiting their their citizenship, but we're excited that they have their green cards now. Uh, Soweto, where they were, there were a lot of gaps in uh, the resources that they were able to have for learning. And so when they came here, it was a tremendous amount of work for the, the teachers at the Ron Clark Academy, where I am pouring into my sons. And then also my husband and I, we'd have to go home at night, you know, sit there 
five, six hours some nights to really try to catch them up academically on the things that they just never been taught. They were brilliant, but they had just lacked access to knowledge, which unfortunately too many children in our world do. And so now I'm proud to say they are very strong students. They're doing very, very well academically and we're in the process of trying to decide and trying to figure out the whole college plan for them because they will be graduating at the end of this year. Well, and I will say, well, in full disclosure, Kim and I have known each other since 1977 or eight, one of those Seven years. Seven or eight. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I was just one year old when I met her, uh, thereabouts. But now we were in middle school together, so Kim and I go way back. We're good friends then. But I remember I stayed at your house uh, a couple of times when the boys had just, the first year they were here, and they were actually at RCA, and I remember how hard those boys would work in their class, in their classroom, up in their room, they would stay up late. I mean, I literally would go to bed and you and Scotty both would be up helping those kids with their, uh, their work. Well, you know, that's what a parent's love is all about, right? You do, you pour into kids. And um, I just knew that they were so bright. They just needed to have somebody who would, you know, believe in them, sit with them, work with them and help them however they needed to. And it's amazing how beautiful that whole journey has begin, been because now they go up to the rooms and they do their homework all by themselves. And so, which makes life a lot simpler because they are able to do the work on their own. And, uh, you know, it, those times were hard. They were long days because I had so many responsibilities at the academy as well. But when I look back too, they were beautiful because it was just time for us not only to sit there and work with them on academics, but there's just so much bonding that took place as a family. You know, those hours at that table sitting there <laughs> night after night, we really grew to know each other and love each other even more. So it was bittersweet, I would say, and definitely a special time in, in the development of our family and how we grew to know each other. Well, yeah, that's, that's a, I don't look at, never thought about looking at it quite that way, but the opportunity to spend more time with them at that, the developmental age, you became a lot closer. And, and some precious memories. And you're coming to the almost end of the empty nest. Is that right? Or the beginning of the empty nest? You know, yes. And so my daughter had already left, you know, she, my daughter is much older. And so we had been empty nesters before we adopted the boys, but this time, I don't know if it's my age, what it's affected <laughs> me much worse. I'm really sad. And our house is sort of the hub. It's the place where there's always kids. There's always people. There's just so much commotion and noise and all of their friends are always here. And so, um, I think having three leave at once, I'm really going to feel that. I, I, <laughs> it's going to be a different time. Uh, and so it's going to be hard for me. I'm almost going to be struggling with that one. <laughs> echo chambers in that house, that's for sure. Exactly, exactly. Well, Kim, you, you've made a tremendous impact, obviously, on your four children. Uh, you've made a tremendous impact on friends like me. I'm always encouraged by what you do. But I gotta say that what you do at Ron Clark Academy is nothing short of miraculous. I mean, you've now written two books, working on your third. As you mentioned, you've had 75,000 plus educators come through. Uh, we, we talked about you got 15,000 a year. And, and that's really what influences kids. Teachers spend uh, more time with children than their parents do as they're growing up. So those can be very influential. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how Ron Clark Academy got started, how you met Ron, because that's a cool story. And I think it's interesting to, to kind of tell the listeners about that as well. Absolutely. So I have been an educator actually for 33 years, but in the year 2000, I was named as a Disney Teacher of the Year, which had all this fanfare. It was a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful honor, but that's where I met Ron Clark. And he had all this passion, all this joy, and he was named as the Disney Teacher of the Year. And so we just hit it off. We had the opportunity to spend a lot of time together. We realized that um, our philosophies on education, how we wove creativity and passion and built relationships with kids, that we had a lot of similarities. And so he looked at me one day and he said, you know what, you and I should start a school 
school together one day. Uh, educators say that all the time. <laughs> a lot of teachers say, if I had my own school, here's what I'd be what I would do. So I said, sure, Ron, that sounds great. But I honestly did not think that it would happen. Um, but then um, Oprah had the Disney teachers on her show, which was very cool, but she was very taken by Ron. He had taught in rural North Carolina, and then he had moved to Harlem and was having success with kids that some other people had given up on. And so during the commercial break, she said, you've got to write a book. And if you remember, Oprah used to have those book picks. And so you know, if Oprah tells you to write a book, you write the book, right? So he wrote a book about how he had created the climate and culture of his classroom in Harlem, about how it was a mixture of, you know, joy and passion, but also with that book? Uh, the Essential 55. Essential and it was really 55 rules, but it, I, I really prefer the word just expectations of how we treat one another, how we uplift one another, support one another. The book wasn't doing so well, it drank like 140,000th on Amazon. And so he sent Oprah a copy. And she remembered him, loved the book, made it a book pick. Remember back in the days when she would have book picks on her TV show? And so she looked into the camera and said, America, go out right now and buy this book. And an hour after the show, it was number two in the nation right behind Harry wow. Potter. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so Ron, being um, someone who's very passion-driven and, and student-focused, he realized he could retire or he could take the money and do something for the greater good. And so he took the money and he put it into a foundation. He called me up and he said, I'm serious, let's start a school. And so um, he said, come to Harlem. And I said, you know what? I said, my family's here in Atlanta. You come to Atlanta, I'll do it. And I won, because the school's in Atlanta. <laughs> and so he came to Atlanta. We looked at about 50 sites all over. And we found a dilapidated 100-year-old factory. And um, it was an eyesore in the community, second highest crime zone area of Atlanta. And the real estate agent said, you know, this is no place for a school. But we looked at each other and said, it's perfect. Because we wanted to be in a place where we could uplift a community as well. And so it took us three years after that of going to different people, because that used took all the money to purchase the, the facility, the building. Um, and after that, um, we were able to open our doors. So at the time, I had, uh, was a principal of another middle school. And um, it was actually a private Christian school. I'd been in public education most of my career, but I had been at a private Christian school for about three years and helped to start the middle school there, which actually ended up being one of those steps that you realize, well, that was a God wink because it was foundational and helping me understand how to start this school. And, um, and we opened our doors. But the reason we had so much support was, you know, there's schools everywhere. So many people want to start a school. People call me all the time and say, I'd love to start a school. How did you do it? But it's because we had a bigger plan. Um, we wanted to affect as many children in this world as we possibly could. We wanted to, because we knew not every child could come to our school every day, we thought, how can we have a global impact? How can we affect children in classrooms everywhere? Because there are so many factors that affect a child's success in a classroom, but the single greatest one above all else is the teacher in front of the classroom. Amen. And so we said, well, then we do it through the teachers. And so in the world of education, um, something that doesn't make much sense is that, you know, quite often we receive training. We only receive training when you're sitting in a library or you're sitting in a theater, but very rarely do teachers ever watch other teachers teach. You know, if I want to be a master surgeon, I'm going to operate along other master surgeons for life or a master kind of, carpenter. Kind of reminds me of professors who teach about business, but they've never been in business. They've before. never been in the business world, right? Yeah. So teachers, you have your student teaching experience, which you may be with a good teacher, maybe not. Um, and then you never watch another teacher as long as you live. You're in a building with them, but you close your door. And so we said teachers need to be able to see what excellence looks like. And so we got the best teachers we could find anywhere. We put them into one building, and instead of closing our doors, we open our doors. So when teachers come, we have something called RCA EXP, the RCA experience. And um, teachers come to our school, and they sit in our classes, and they watch us teach. Not because we're perfect, there's no such thing, but because it gives them an opportunity to reflect, to learn, to see um, methods that work with all different types of learners. And then they also attend workshops where we go more in depth. And so we thought it was a good idea. 
Um, we had no idea how good it would be though, because as I said, you know, hundreds come almost every single week. And, you know, now we're up in, you know, 75,000. We used to have about, uh, you know, first year we had about 1,500 teachers come, then 3,000, and now, you know, we're up to 15,000 educators come each year to the academy to learn our methods and to take them back. So we, you know, estimate, you know, just the, the, the magnitude of the ripple effect of that, the students that are being affected is something that we're, we're quite grateful for. Yeah, you mentioned uh, earlier we were talking about just the number of teachers that uh, you, you've, you've, you've taught or have been through the program but then the number of students that they set in front of each day. I think you said that uh, you calculated it could be as many as a million students a day. Right. Just, in, you know, at any given moment. And then you think about, you know, the, the effect of over their lifetime, you know, the, and so, you know, if they teach, if they come to our school, you know, for the next three years, some teachers, you know, affect, teach 150 kids a year, some teachers teach 30, but it could definitely, it's definitely at least a million. That's a conservative estimate of teachers who have been, you know, affected by the program we have. So. Um, you know, we've just started using this hashtag RCA inspired on social media and following that because we ask teachers now, if you've been here and you're doing lessons or work that's been inspired by, you know, your visit here, let us know. And that's been beautiful and overwhelming and heartwarming and also something that's inspired us to keep pushing <laughs> because we see the effect that we're able to have. Well, I, it's impressive. I remember the first time I came, uh, I came at, right at Thanksgiving one time and, and y'all were having a Thanksgiving meal. It was right after, I'd been there prior to the building being open. That was early on, yeah. That was really early on, yeah. Remember my kids even came. Yeah. And we were there the day before Thanksgiving, I believe, and, and, and you were having an event. But one of the most inspiring things that I remember specifically is how you teach the handshake, you look people in the eye, it's yes sir, it's no sir. Tell us a little bit about that because in my opinion, growing up in a, a very strict home with a, a father who was in the military, it was yes sir, no sir. To me, that was maybe the single most impressive because that's impacting not only those children, but the world around them and the people they meet too. Absolutely, we teach those soft skills and it's a huge part of our program. You know, we're, we're very loving, we give hugs and, and we love our kids and pour into them. But lots we also, of hugs there, I've seen that. Lots of hugs, it's a very loving place, but we also are very strict. And so we have high expectations for our students. I like to say that high expectations are your outward manifestation of your belief in someone. Wow. Now, if you have low expectations, you're really saying, well, baby, I don't think you can do it either. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have high expectations, but we provide the support to get them there. And part of that, we think, is how our students are able to um, operate once they leave our, our school. We want our students to be able to walk into any room and feel like they belong there. I want my students to have confidence. I want my students to know that they could be in a room full of presidents, kings, queens, and CEOs, but yet they're still, oh, there goes a the dog again. I, <laughs> I want my it's students to- a little bit to, of personal flavor to yeah, it. Yes, personal yeah. flavor to it. But I understand, you know, I want my students to know that they can be, you know, surrounded by CEOs, kings, and queens, and they fit right there and they belong in that room just as much. And so part of that is really, you know, how do you give a firm handshake? How do you look someone in the eye? How do you, you know, speak with confidence? How do you carry on a conversation? Because we all know that you know you could have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to convey it, how to share it, or even how to get your foot in that door, then sometimes you know all that knowledge doesn't get you where you you deserve to be. And so it's a big part of what we do at our school. Yeah. So I think it's important to also illustrate that it's it's more than just about instruction, teaching in a certain way, how to do math or how to do reading skills, but you teach in an innovative way too. How would you explain that? I've, I've watched it numerous times, I've been still impressed by it. I love to watch even some of the videos that I've seen on it. But tell me a little bit about how you would describe your teaching mechanisms or your teaching ways in which you teach. 
Well, I like to say we use a lot of movement, we use a lot of music, and we sprinkle it with a little bit of magic. <laughs> so, you know, my goal is I want students who lie in bed at night and they can't wait to go to school the next day. Like, I want kids to lie there and go, what's going to happen? How is it going to be? Now, I don't think that, you know, I don't think it's my job to entertain my students, but I do think it's my job to instill a love for learning with my students. And so some days are very traditional, but you will never have our kids just sitting there for an hour straight getting talked at. Instead, we're talking with them. We're having conversations, we're having discussions, but we also intersperse that with lots of movement, lots of energy. There's, there is dance, there's song. You don't have to be able to dance well, but sometimes just, you know, be able to use movements, arm, arm gestures, you know, different kinds of ways to use your body, different kinds of ways just to get up and move around the room because we have kids who are falling asleep in class. And everybody always talks about Finland. You know, Finland is the gold standard. What are they doing in Finland to have those high test scores? Well, in Finland, they have 45 minutes of class, 15 minutes of recess, 45 minutes of class, 15 minutes of recess. So we're not structured like that, but what we do is we immerse our students in a learning situation where they do get to move, they do get to they get to speak, they get to they get to you know do choral response, but they also have in-depth dialogue about things that are happening. So it's really just when people watch us teach. I think a word that always permeates um, the conversation is joy. There is joy for learning in our classrooms, and I want those kids who've been reluctant learners or been unsuccessful learners to love learning because then they're going to be more inclined to be able to dig in and do the hard work. We're really academically very challenging school and our kids, we have tremendous results with them. Kids of all different ability levels or um, skill levels, when they come to us, they leave us prepared for to do great things. Yeah, it's funny how you say how, how you use mechanisms, uh, use excitement for people to remember. I always remember, crazy how you remember silly stuff. Uh, arithmetic was always a hard word to spell. I don't remember if it was my one of my English teachers or one of the math. It was a rat in the house may eat the ice cream. And if you took the first <laughs> letter from each of those words, you had arithmetic. So it was very interesting to uh, to to keep remembering how you would do that as well. Right, and so those kind of things they stay with you forever. You remember them forever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 interesting how those will will stick with you and stay with you and become part of your part of your DNA, if you will, as well. So. Let me ask you this. So you're impacting not only the children that are coming there, you're impacting the teachers that are around, but possibly the biggest impact is what, how has that impacted on you? Can you think of a way or a person or a coach or a, somebody along the time from maybe kindergarten to you know, K through college that impacted who you are and what your visions and values are today? Now, other than you, JW, because of course <laughs> you had a big... <laughs> Well, I, that's a given, but we didn't want to talk about that. You one. have been a blessing to my life, JW. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> well, I would say that, you know, two, two things. I would say that I'm a daddy's girl, and my father um, taught me a lot. My father, what I loved about my father is that everybody loved my father because of he's kind. Um, my father had a, you know, had a great job. My father was very driven. My father was very focused. My father worked very, very hard. But even employees, you know, many years after he's retired, even, you know, right now my dad is, is struggling with his health and he has people he hired, you know, 20 years ago who come and visit him on a regular because they say he was the best boss they ever worked for. Um, and it's just because he was kind and he taught me to be kind to everybody. And my dad had joy. My dad was one of those people that would just laugh all the time. So at times when um, sometimes people can't believe that I'm in the middle of, you know, drama and I'll just be laughing and they're like, well, and I, and I think I, my daddy taught me Dressed that. up in your Cinderella uniform as well. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I see even that, you know, and, and life has never been perfect for any of us, but I've been through some really dark periods of my life. But even in the darkest hours, I was able to find joy. And I think my dad taught me that. 
he was a man of great faith, um, is a man of great faith, and I think that was important. And then, of course, I had some teachers that really inspired me. I, I think the teacher that was transformative for me, I had a teacher in high school named Nancy Quattlebaum, and um, she was the teacher that taught me English, uh, my love for English, I loved her class. But I, high school? I, this was in high school, but I have a distinct memory that I was, you know, I was on the, the flags, the drill team, and I was out on the football field, and it, I don't even remember why, but I, it was teenage angst, and I had tears in my eyes, and I was overwhelmed and tired, and I don't even know why I was upset. And I remember she looked at me, and she saw me, and she came and took my hand, and she walked me over to a bench, and she sat down, and she just started to rub my back. And she said, are you okay? And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I remember just bursting into tears. And honestly, I don't remember what was wrong with me. It may have been nothing. It may have been hormones. But I remember that she just sat there with me for about 15 minutes and just talked to me and talked calmly into me. And it was a, a moment for me that I realized that this teacher sees me. Like she really sees me, she cares about me. And she noticed that I was, I needed something. I just needed that moment of comfort. And so I've, that has kind of always been uh, instrumental in how I treat my students, is that I, I try to always make sure I see them, I notice those things that if a child does need a moment, you know, you need to take that extra time. And, and not only students, just human beings, that we have to take time to see each other. So she was a huge influence, I think, on who I am as a teacher. Well, and, and I think you've also pointed out Everybody has some, something positive about them. Not everybody is all negative. We all have our downfalls. I've got plenty, more than my fair share. We've got things that we're good at. We've got things we're not so good at. But isn't it about, you mentioned in some of your six principles, some of it's about validation. Some of it's about motivation, appreciation. I think those are the, the six principles you talk about. Those are the things that can lift somebody up. Uh, I've noticed even if I would say, well, hi, Kim, your hair sure looks pretty today. You know, maybe they haven't heard that. Maybe they haven't heard that in years. And sometimes it's just the little compliments that I think can be uplifting and motivating and, and impactful for, for them as well. And, and can change the way they feel about themselves, the world around them. So uh, what you just pointed out about your teacher is is part of that whole process of, of lifting others up around us. And I think that's one of our goals is to lift those around us as well. Absolutely. And I think that's what's instrumental that people need to understand is that, you know, when you are going through a difficult time, when you're feeling overworked or overwhelmed or hurting or in pain that honestly, one of the greatest things you can do is reach out and lift somebody else up because it pulls you up in the process. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we go into service and we think, well, I'm going to go into service to, to, to change that person's life. But um, one of the most beautiful benefits of that or um, effects of that is that when you go in to change somebody else's life, really the life that's changed is your own. You know, I, I know working in uh, Zimbabwe, where we have our company, Global BP, it's, it's, you always think, well, I'm here, I'm changing lives, I'm changing so many lives, but when I go there, I find my life gets changed. Absolutely. By how appreciative they are. Um, we've got people who make a very uh, uh, low wage compared to what we make here in the U.S., but you'll see them contributing their time and their money. So you're right. If you'll, if you'll always look to see how you can invest in others, I think you're gonna impact them, you're gonna lift them up, and you're gonna change the way those people view other people in the world. You know, and a side of that too, is that sometimes when you do serve others, you lift up others, they may not respond the way you want them to. And so people, if you go into it where you're looking for, you know, oh, them to fawn over you, make a big deal over everything like that, then you may be disappointed sometimes. And so when you go to serve others, I think you have to go into looking in, you know, not at what, not at changing them, but changing you because you know you don't have to worry so much about the outcome you're worried about how is this going to change me and make me a better person you know I'm, i need to just focus on what i'm doing and, and the work that i'm doing and trying to do the best that i can um 
And that way you'll be more, I think, inclined to just continue to serve. But it, I know that for me in my darkest times of my life are the most frustrating or the most difficult. When I was able to go do something for somebody else, without a doubt, it always made me feel better. Yep, absolutely. And investing in others, there's no doubt about it. That's absolutely right. So we've all can make an impact. I think one of my goals in life is to realize that you may not make a million dollars. You may not donate a million dollars to the Ron Clark Academy, but uh, I'll write that check soon. But you may not be able <laughs> to make, make a big donation or be impactful. But, you know, we all have time. We all can benefit from, from helping others. Um, one of the things that I really focus on now is also finding freedom. It's, it's freedom from uh, being weighed down by, by life's pressures, you know, weighed down by financial issue or maybe overcommitment. I think some of the hardest things I've learned to do is to say no, that you, you can't say yes to all the opportunities because there's just not enough time. You're going to sacrifice your own personal time, your family time, your, your time with your spouse, etc. So when I, when I ask you that, what is it that you do? What's one thing that you do that helps you find some freedom away from the, the, the daily rigors of life? Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, that I do find times that I completely overwhelmed because I do have, you know, all of my professional life that is very, very important. And then my family, of course, which is the most important thing to me. And how do you juggle all of that? It, it can be impossible. But um, I have learned that um, it's arrogant to think that you can't stop and take time to be still. You know, it's almost like, oh, I have to be doing this for everybody all the time. Well, you know, I need to trust that God, God's got it for a minute because yeah. he wants me to go and rest. And, but for me, there's um, one of my favorite things that I've started to do is I, I go on gratitude walk. That's what I call it. Okay. So what I do is I go on a walk and I, instead of listening to music, or if I do listen to music, I just listen to instrumental music, like some classical music or something like that. And I try for the entire duration of the walk only to think about things that I'm grateful for. Wow. And it's, I'll start off with the big picture things. You know, I'm grateful for my, my, you know, my family. I'm grateful for my job and things like that. But then I start to even look around me. You know, I'm grateful for the beautiful sky and I'm grateful for the trees. And, I, and then I start to think about things about my physical being. You know, I'm grateful that I can walk. Yeah. I'm grateful I can move, that I can walk, that my heart is beating. I can feel the sun on my shoulders, that the wind is in my hair. And, and so I do that. I focus on that the entire course of the walk. And so when I get back, it's amazing, just the sense of calm, the sense of peace that comes over. And then when you when you try to put that shift on gratitude, it's amazing how those little uh, things that, are, that bother us, that weigh us down, that annoy us, they don't seem as important anymore. And so um, that's just a, a great time out for me. Like, you know what, I need to go take a walk. But when I do, I always return much stronger and better. And sometimes maybe you don't go for a walk. Maybe you just go sit somewhere, go sit on a bench somewhere, you know, go sit somewhere where there's peace and quiet, but really take the time to get into that space of gratitude. It really does change, I think, your perspective on everything that's happening around you. You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I've got a friend who says, uh, first word, God's word. And he just means that when he wakes up in the morning, the first words he wants to read, the first words he wants to hear before he flips on the TV, before he does anything else, he wants to hear God's word. And I think that's a good lesson for me. I've, I've tried to really abide by that. I'm not great at it, but I'm getting better at it is just to take a few minutes and, and, and like you said, be still and know, know that I'm God. And I think that we don't have to always be talking. We don't have to always be a, uh, uh, being verbal with our, our gratitude or our thankfulness. Sometimes it's just stop for a minute, just slow down, 
let those wheels quit spinning a little bit. So yeah, that's that's a good lesson. An attitude of gratitude, or we'll, we'll write a, maybe that's your next book, the Gratitude Walk. <laughs> well, you know, there's it's interesting because I've been reading. There's so much research. You know, we hear so much about gratitude all the time, and especially right now, you know, as we're recording this, it's near Thanksgiving, but. They really have scientists have even shown that people that have uh, spirits of gratitude that it really that it helps their their mental well-being their physical well-being we know it helps our souls but it also even helps their ability to handle stress sometimes it even extends your life and so <laughs> so there's so many benefits to it when you focus on on what we're, we're given you know what we are grateful to have not what we don't have well i, I think uh, the current world today wants us to focus on the things we don't have you know we're, we're bombarded with commercials about things we don't have but if we can focus on what we do have and how we've been blessed i, I think it can change the way we view the world ourselves our families our relationships uh, i believe marriages can be significantly impacted by by being focused on the gratitude of hey what is it i like about my spouse not necessarily what is the things i don't like because i i'm sure my wife can find plenty of things she doesn't like about me <laughs> But if we focus on the things we do like, I think that's most important. Amen. Amen. Okay, so one last thing. You're writing a book. What's your next big goal? What's your next big dream? Well, in, in the immediate, get this book done is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you got a deadline. Um, you know, I believe in definitely having dreams and goals, but I also know that sometimes I'm so short-sighted because, you know, what God manifests sometimes is so much greater than anything I could have ever dreamed for myself. So um, first I would say to um, to follow his lead, you know, to be mindful and to be still and to listen. I think to have my footsteps guided by where I think he leads me. But um, for me, you know, other than my family being so much to me, my the world of education is vitally important to me. And um, we have so many students who still lack the resources, lack the opportunities that I think every child deserves for a good education. So I'll continue to fight for that and for those children and also for teachers. Um, there's a tremendous amount of teachers in this country who are overworked, overwhelmed, underappreciated, ready to quit, dropping out of profession, underpaid, um, struggling to you know even pay the bills for their own families. Um, a large number of teachers are, are disillusioned with the profession and what they do is so important. And so that's a big part of what I do too, is I, I really try to empower educators. I try to remind them of what they do. I tell them that you know, they're, they're seeking significance with their lives. And um, you know one of the things we talk about that exponential effect is that you know if you affect the life of a kid, you don't only affect that kid, you also affect that child's future spouse, children, extended family members, friends, colleagues, business partners, employees, neighbors, community members, everybody that child will one day have an impact upon you as well because of what you poured into that child. And so, you know, for me, my goal is, you know, with a, we were building a new facility at our school where we can invite even more educators to come and we can continue to pour into them and to provide even more uh, in-depth training and resources and also inspiration and motivation and just validation for them so that they can continue to go in and do the hard work. And so that's kind of where my focus is right now is um, finishing this book to pour into them, but also finishing this facility so that we can even increase the number of educators that we're able to affect and thereby increase the number of students we're able to affect as well. Amen. Kim, I, I just have to say that what you're doing uh, has not only affected so many teachers' lives, and, and I, I'm going to have to agree with you 100%. I can't think of any profession anywhere in the world that's more impactful than teachers. Parents, absolutely, that's a given, but teachers really have the opportunity to impact the students, not only their learning, but in their motivation and their self-image, how they, how they feel about life, their direction, their goals, where they're headed. And so what you've done and what Ron have done 
with the Ron Clark Academy, influencing not just those new students each year, but influencing the educators that come through and the millions of plus students that they're sitting in front of every day. Um, I personally thank you for making such an impact on our world because it does make a difference. And I think you're making a great impact in many areas. Thank you, my friend. And there's one other thing. So first of all, who was the junior high principal at Zundi that year? Do you remember that? Let's see how bright you are. Do you remember oh. what was? Come on, you Wasn't got it. Mr. Hill? Mr. Hill. Did and I now I'm right? gonna ask, Kim got it right, I'm gonna ask her to sing the <laughs> Zundi fight song after now, this. Now you might know that better than I am because you might've spent more time in that principal's office than I did, <laughs> J.W. Oliver. <laughs> uh, that would have been Mr. Huddleston. He was the one who gave licks. He was the vice principal, so I do know him quite well. Well, Kim, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for joining us here on Global Impact and you're making a major impact in the world. And just thank you. And thank you for being a great friend too. I do appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. Thanks again for joining us on another edition of Global Impact. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Deezer and follow us on Facebook. Links will be in the description below. Until next time, stay inspired, stay motivated, and make an impact.